This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good. Feels weird. It is very weird. We are in the same room for the first time in like three or four months. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, I want to go back to the way that we've been doing it and I can just hang on to my pajamas and record. <laughs> it, it's nice to be back in the office today. It's nice to be able to, to sit down and see another human when we're recording this. It doesn't quite feel like I'm just talking to the computer all day. It should, for our listeners, like... Andrew and I are back in the office. We are not back into like having our full staff in the office. We're roughly maybe a maybe a quarter to a third of our staff is in the office at any given time. Um, still not back to full capacity. But the first time we've actually been in the same room recording this podcast, um, socially distant, roughly 10 feet apart. Right. Yeah. And I, I just happened to come into the office today and we were like, hey, since we're both here, why don't we just sit down and record? So why don't we jump into the news? We haven't talked about COVID-19 in a while, mostly because there really haven't been many changes to what's been going on over the last couple of weeks. And you had a conversation with Sue Powers to talk about why that is and kind of where we're at in terms of the our our position in Door County compared to the rest of the state. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you gleaned from her. Yeah, I talked to Sue Powers, the public health manager for the Door County um, Public Health Department yesterday, and she... I just kind of wanted to see, like, all right, what's our standing? How are things going from a, a health department's perspective? And, you know, we're sitting at 39 cases. We've been there for almost two weeks. Um, and, you know, as she said, she'd love to be able to point to a reason. But there's, you know, maybe it's just dumb luck. Um, we we did talk a little bit about, like, the fact that people in Door County took it pretty seriously when it first, uh, when the shutdown first hit. We may have also gotten lucky in that in those couple of weeks prior to the shutdown, it was a pretty quiet time of year in Door County. The, the high school basketball season had already ended, so there weren't people gathering in high school gyms with 500 people. Um, so the the winter sports seasons for a lot of teams had already ended. Um, there weren't, it's, it's kind of a lull in school um, performances and plays and things like that at that time of year. And there, you know, it's probably the slowest time of year for Door County in general in terms of events. There's no festivals in that late February, early March um, period. So we kind of got lucky there at a, at a time when we might have had people up here undetected and potentially spreading it. And then once we shut down, we shut down pretty hard. So when people returned from vacations in March, they weren't returning to an active community in which everyone's hanging out and going to bars and going to restaurants. Everything was locked down. So interestingly, she said those first couple of cases that they had was really easy to contact trace because these people hadn't been to a lot of different places. They had just returned home. They got sick. They checked in and they had had contact with a minimal number of people. Said now contact tracing when they've had cases it becomes much more difficult. There's so many more interactions. People are out and about a lot more and there's so many more people up here. Right. Do you do you think that in terms of like overall precautions that were taken by Door County, do you think that maybe we took more precautions than some other counties or do you think we were just uniquely situated because of the time of the year and the the like year-long population that we have being smaller, do you think that those are more what impacted it or or what we actually did to try to flatten that curve? Well, I think we, we did a lot. We got lucky, like I said, a time of year. Um, there wasn't a, as much pressure. Businesses, a lot of them were like, well, 
I was closed anyway, or it's pretty dead time of year for me anyway. So I'm losing the period of the year that maybe makes up two to 5% of my annual revenue. So people weren't just chomping at the bit to to get things open. Some were, but a lot of the businesses were not. Well, I was going to say too, like in terms of our position as Indoor County compared to some other counties, after the Safer at Home order was lifted, we continued the Safer at Home order for almost a week afterwards. Right. And you didn't see a lot of other counties doing that. Uh, you saw some initially doing it and then pulling back. Um, so I would say that our response in Door County probably a little bit stronger than some other counties, probably more in line with uh, what Governor Evers was going for originally in terms of like a reopening plan. Uh, things were pretty scattered that week after Safer at Home lifted, but th- steps were still taken to try to give people uh, different guidance, even though the guidance was coming from all these different areas and there wasn't a unified voice on it. Uh, I-, I think that the precautions were still pretty strong and the guidelines were given out pretty quickly in order to try to keep people moving forward safely. And interestingly enough, I've felt that way. I've felt that we were pretty well locked down and responsible in Door County. But then my in-laws um, came up here this week to meet their grandson. And they refer to Door County, Wisconsin as the wild, wild west. Because compared to where they're coming from in the suburbs of Chicago, where it is a hardcore lockdown, and I have other family in the Chicago area who are, and some in this in the city itself, who have been extremely quarantined. Um, more so than... I'm pretty cautious, but more so than even I. Um, barely leaving the apartment. Very few friends that they interact with at all from a distance. Um, and whereas up here, it, it is a little bit looser. So it, it is interesting based on those places that were hardest hit. I've also talked to friends in New York City. Same kind of deal. Um, they've taken it very seriously. And we've maybe taken it a little less seriously because we haven't seen the, the massive um, impact of COVID that other places have. Right. Well, and I'm curious, just like personally, how you feel. So I noticed that both of us got haircuts uh, three weeks ago. Did you think that you were going to get a haircut anytime soon? Or has that changed as you've seen how um, how seriously businesses have been taking this up here? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty confident with the, the woman I go to is a friend of mine who took a lot of precautions, wearing a mask, doing things really smart and sanitary. And also we've learned more. It's um, while there have been cases tied to people getting a haircut, um, salons, things like that, uh, we also know that at least, I shouldn't say we know this, like this thing is so new that our our beliefs and the science changes. I shouldn't say like the science changes, but like how we interpret things changes as we learn a little bit more, you know? So um, myself and I think the consensus out there now is the surfaces are not as big of an issue. Um in part because people are cleaning the heck out of everything. So it's not spreading that way. Um, It's more about that prolonged exposure to somebody who has COVID (laughs) Um, in close proximity or in an office environment with poor circulation. Those are probably my biggest fears of hotspots are situations like that, indoor spaces with a lot of people in close proximity. Yeah. So um, if you can limit that and if you you feel comfortable with the person, maybe like at least that's how I felt about getting my hair cut. Right. Well, and I think it is safe to say that the science can change, right? Because that's what makes it science. Science isn't a rigid law. It, you know, it changes as we discover new things. That's what separates it from a belief, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can learn more about something you believe in, but not change your opinion on your belief. Whereas like, as you learn more things about science, you're like, oh, okay, so I guess we were wrong back then. And now we're better. And you've seen science evolve, you know, over the, over the course of human history, right? We believe Thing, or we know things now that we thought were completely the opposite 
100, 200 years ago. Yeah. So uh, that that's my big thing whenever anybody brings up like, well, who said that you shouldn't wear a mask? It's like, yeah, well, they said that like two months ago. And that has changed since then. The The current standing is that you probably should wear a mask, right? And when they said that I, you should I would, I would even check that. I would say like more and more evidence comes out that perhaps mask wearing is one of the most effective things you can do. Um, potentially even more so than social distancing. Um, And something we've talked about a lot. It's like, well, masks might get us closer to normalcy. We might be able to start doing a lot more of the normal things that we like to do just with a mask, which is, uh, you know, like football players once dreaded the idea of wearing a face mask on their helmet and then they got used to it and now everyone does because it's safer. Right. But they can still play football and we're still very entertained by it. So it's like life can go on, hopefully not forever wearing masks, but like if that's what gets us back to normal, that's good. And it seems like a lot of the science, a lot of the studies that are coming out are pointing to masks having a really big impact. Yeah. And and I will say as as cautious as I still am and as, you know, as I kind of reel back a little bit as I go out, especially now that the summer's kicked off and seeing tons and tons of people out, less mask usage, that type of stuff. I still am really proud of our community and especially our businesses up here that are continuing to take things very seriously, put in a bunch of precautions to keep us safe, to keep their employees safe. That's been my big kind of like ah, exhale moment where it's like, I feel like I can go out and do stuff because I know that the places that I'm going to, they, they have me in mind, right? They're going mm-hmm. to try to keep me safe. Uh, so I, I, I do want to say that, like, as quote unquote scary as it gets when there's a ton of people up here, the businesses up here at their heart are still doing everything that they can to keep people safe. And I think that that's something both to be proud of and something that's really reassuring. Right. Um, I, I did see just earlier today, apparently a, a church service that had returned to 25% capacity in Sheboygan um, has now canceled their services again in-person services again, because they've now had, I think, 23 cases traced back to church services. So it's one of the, like those kind of cases. And the fact that, you know, yesterday there were 24,000 cases, I believe, um, new cases reported in the United States, obviously testing's way up, but it's also, it's not just due to the new testing. Hospitalizations in many states are skyrocketing. Um, It's not over, (laughs) sadly. Um, And it's not a time to let your guard down and just go back to normal. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of evidence that says like, that just looks like we're not even people are talking about a second wave. And it's like, we never got below 20,000 cases a day for 80 straight days. Like, right. This is still the wave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, I think that that's a big thing to kind of, to take on it. Like the, the things that still concern me are the small indoor gatherings, like church services and the large outdoor gatherings, like sporting events. Right. Like I still don't know that I would be like, yeah, let's put, you know, a thousand, twenty thousand people back in the stands for a sporting event because right. that just seems like a you know a recipe for disaster. But as I've mentioned a lot, and, and you're going to love this because it's the first time that I have openly brought sports into the podcast. To talk yeah, about. this is fascinating. Um, <laughs> I, I've often said that we should look at Asian countries for how they're dealing with this, right? Because they have a lot of experience in mask usage and that type of stuff. And I saw an article couple weeks ago about Korean baseball and how it has started back up. Hmm. And one of my favorite things that I saw was a picture of a stadium. It's the, uh, the SK happy dream park. And there was a team. It was the Hanwha Eagles. Their fans sent in thousands of stuffed animals that were then placed in the seats in the stadium. So the players <laughs> got to play to a stadium full of stuffed animals. So you got to see 
like tons and tons of pop icons like Mickey Mouse and SpongeBob and Pikachu out in the stands. And they're just playing for stuffed animals. And like, that's how we reopen sports up here. We start filling the stands up again. And and they do creative things too. Like they pipe in the sound of a crowd Mm -hmm. so that the players feel like there's still that energy going on. Uh, And they get to look out at their adoring fans and they're (laughs) cuter than they've ever been. So I think that that's the way forward. Now if they can get some of those stuffed animals to do some of the heckling, like just have them programmed with a microphone to just rip on the guys. Well, and, and I like that idea of like, of bringing in the crowd noise or that type of stuff, getting fans involved in some way virtually. Um, I watched, like I grew up on pro wrestling. My dad was a huge pro wrestling fan. I watched it as a kid. I recently watched a pay-per-view and they have nobody in the audience. And it's the weirdest thing because normally when you watch wrestling, it's full of the crowd noise, right? Right. Without that, you just hear the wrestlers huffing and puffing and like trash talking really badly and trying to perform. And it's just a lot of sounds of like wet bodies slapping each other. (laughs) And it was it was very awkward. It was the weirdest like props to them for giving on like giving the best show that they could. But wow, it was weird. It was weird to see that. And I feel like most sports would be the same. Can you imagine watching basketball? But all you're hearing is, you know, big guys huffing and puffing and sneakers and balls dribbling. And that's it. Well, I'm actually really looking forward to if the NBA can figure this out and and they play and you can hear the players talking and hear the trash talk. Like I love the clips when they you hear the trash talk as long as you you're not too worried about the the curse words. I love it. I love to hear how they talk to each other and how they just like compete that way. Um, it's one of my favorite things. Um, trash talk on Door County basketball courts usually like just gets you weird looks. Um, but I, for me, it just is part of the the tempo of the game um so i i have just i think that would be the best thing about sitting courtside at an nba game is actually just hearing all that and hearing the referees and the banter and the between the coaches and the players and so i'm i'm hopeful that they they figured out what the nba's kind of orlando bubble so why don't we move on a couple other things to talk about uh we'll do just a, a short uh we'll just do a couple minutes on a piece that you wrote about oscar bolt who's another one of those kind of like door county figures that did a lot of important stuff, but you might not know of them just off of their name. I certainly didn't. Uh, tell me a little bit about who Oscar Bolt was and and what he accomplished in Door County. Yeah, so Oscar Bolt died last week, and you know a lot of the things written about him were about his contributions in the Fox Cities, where he was the um, kind of the man who took the Bolt Construction Company from like a small home builder. When he took over in 1950, he built it into a nearly a billion dollar company um, doing a lot of big municipal community type projects like the Fox City Performing Arts Center, I believe, was one of his. And then, you know, they have they they have offices in several different states and work all over the country. But they're also a name that's familiar to Door County. They've also done a lot of projects up here. Um, And so like the Crest Pavilion, the Ridges Nature Center, the Peninsula Players New Theater, the um, YMCA. Door County Medical Center, they've done many projects there. Bjork Linden, after it burned down and when they rebuilt it, that was like a passion project of Oscar Bolt. And I never met the man. I knew he was uh, um, a guy who had an influence up here, but I never knew that much. And now I know why, because when I talked to a half dozen or more people who had come in contact with him, people who worked with him, people who were good friends of his, um, just an unassuming Man, like he was a guy who would, I guess, was pretty blunt and would tell it like it is. And one guy described him as a person who had an ability to cut through the weeds. Like you have a really messy situation. He was someone who could sit at the table. And when he talked, you all listened. Even other people who are 
really smart individuals, leaders themselves has said like, he opens his mouth, I shut up, I start learning. And he had a way to look at this complex issue and cut to the chase and figure out a solution. And he did that as his whole life. And he did that at nonprofits and especially in Ephraim where he had a home. And he and his wife, Pat, were um, attendees at Bethany Lutheran Church and the Moravian Church. And when Bethany Lutheran Church was um, at risk of having to sell the property and the congregation was dying, um, he helped figure out a way where they could preserve the properties by donating them to the Ephraim Historical Foundation. And then kind of like his solution was like, take the money out of it and let's just focus on the, the congregation. And that way, if the congregation does die, the foundation will preserve these buildings. And when you look at a picture of Ephraim, it's those two steeples, the Moravian Church and the and Bethany Lutheran Church that are such icons, so many images, so many paintings done like that. And he helped preserve those. Um, and when he was actually uh, the president of the Ephraim Foundation board at one point, um, had just had a passion for that community and preserving it. And I just thought that was pretty interesting that here's this guy who is such a big player in one community, in the Appleton and the Fox Valley community, has national responsibilities working for this company and, and growing this company and building this company, but also like loved this little town of Ephraim enough that he would serve as a as a board member on this this little board and of this foundation and get involved in these really small scale, you know, on they're big scale to us here, but like when you're coming from that, like these are small scale projects and really put his weight and his passion and his brain behind it. Um, he sounded, uh, just talking to people, he sounded like a down to earth guy, um, a really helpful guy, a, a great boss. Um, uh, Gary Stanton told me a story about being a project manager working for Oscar Bolt and kind of screwing up a project. Uh, he bid it and performed it. It went way over budget, cost the company a lot of money. He went with his tail between his legs to, to Oscar and was just prepared to get reamed, potentially fired, said, hey, I, this is all on me. This is my fault. I I need to make it up to the company. I'll do what I can to make it right. And Oscar's question was, hold on. Did you learn anything from it? He said, yeah, yes, I did. Well, then go ahead. Education usually costs us a lot of money. And you got an education and just don't make the same mistake again. Like, we have to learn from it. Like, that's the investment. Um, and I, I heard that from multiple people who worked with him. I think he's just like a guy who invested in his employees and, and gave them opportunities to fail and learn from those opportunities. And that's why, you know, Bolt Company is a really massive, well-respected um, national firm. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, that, that story, his story of being somebody who's very, you know, nationally focused, but then has this passionate love for this place, that's not a unique story. You, you see it a lot of times, too. And I feel like it, it speaks to Door County's draw, where right. if, you, if you're the type of person who comes up here every year, this isn't just a vacation spot. It's something that you, you dearly love and you find ways to contribute back to the community. Um, we have talked about before how a lot of times the majority of, like, donations and funding that businesses get up here come from people who don't have full-time residencies up here. So I, I think that that just speaks to that. But then also when you, when you rattled off that litany of different buildings that have been made over the last 20 years, those are like altogether, those are like the face of new, beautiful architecture up here. Yeah. Right. The, the Crest Pavilion, the Ridges Sanctuary, Penn Players, new building, all of like the biggest, most like incredible pieces that we have up here that we're lucky to have. I didn't know that they all came from one company. So that's, yeah. that's cool to learn. I, um, I've always thought like it, it's gotta be so cool for construction workers, even the laborers, 
the designers, the architects to drive around an area and be able to point to things that they specifically put their blood and sweat and tears into, or they designed it, they came up with that idea, they, or they, they put up those walls or laid that foundation or did that masonry. You know, like I, if I'm lucky, I write something good enough that someone wants to put it on a wall or if it's really good, maybe they even framed it, you know, like, and I feel a lot of pride if I, when I see that places, but that's just something that's hung on a wall that somebody else actually built that wall and, and built that building or came up with that concept. I think that's just got to be such a fulfilling, prideful thing and, and actually see something that's going to last and that's going to be there um, 20, 30, 100 years from now. Um, right. And he got to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to reading the rest of that story in The Pulse this week. Is there anything else you want to add? No. Okay. Uh, why don't we shift gears? One more thing that I want to talk about. Uh, I've often said that internet is my number one priority up here. That's my big issue that I like to talk about. I think you and I both, in the span of a couple of months, now have a new priority uh, <laughs> when it comes to like what are the big issues facing Door County, and that's child care, oddly enough. Like, yeah. A couple of years ago, I wasn't really thinking about it, and now it, you know, forefront of my my issues. And you wrote an article this week talking about the Barker Center down in Sturgeon Bay, which is connected to the YMCA, and that's the primary childcare facility down in Sturgeon Bay. So today, as we're recording this on Thursday, they are making the decision whether or not to close the Barker Center. Give me a little bit of background on on this story and and take me through what has led to this decision being made today, uh, and and how how big of an issue is this in the the tapestry of Door County? Yeah, I mean, I've been childcare has been an issue, a kind of a simmering one that has ebbed and flowed a little bit for several years in Door County. And about a year ago, I started hearing more from parents saying, you know, it is really hard to find your way into to a daycare center up here. Um, you know, life is different today. Pe- more and more families are, most families are two income households now to largely make the same money that they made 40 years ago, but now with two incomes. So now you got to find daycare. So so with the the Barker Center, the YMCA got into the childcare business in 2012. And at that time, they saw it as a revenue generator for the YMCA. And and it was. Uh, Ruth Barker donated half a million dollars to buy a facility. And they're operating this facility for a couple of years, doing pretty good. But then schools started offering four-year-old kindergarten. And that seems like a good thing because as, as a parent, you'd go, oh, great. Now I don't have to send them to daycare or her to daycare because I have four-year-old kindergarten. That's free. Send my kids there. I had never heard of that before reading your article, by the way. For like, I had always thought that kindergarten started at five years old. Yeah. And it's just so, weird to me because like, I, I, my birthday's in September, so I was always late. So I graduated at 18 whereas most of my peers would graduate at 17. If you started kindergarten at four, you'd be graduating at 16, right? Uh, it's, it doesn't mean that you're advancing kindergarten. It's just like an extra year. Oh, so you get two years of kindergarten. Right. And, okay. and so they call it like four-year-old kindergarten. Um, but so you, when the schools start offering that, it, it, it really breaks the model for daycare centers because right. daycare is based on, all right, ages one to three, you have a much smaller ratio of teacher to student. So you're looking at up to two years old, I believe it's four students to one teacher. And then it it goes in little increments after that to six to one to eight to one based on like two and a half years, three years, three and a half years, four years. Um, But when you get to a four-year-old, you can have 13 students to one teacher. Right. That's a third of the labor cost, even even less than that. So labor being 85% of the budget for a daycare center in most cases. So when you take away the four-year-old kindergarten 
you basically took away like the, the infants are kind of the lost leader for the daycare center. And then they make it back up on the four-year-olds and you've taken that away. So the YMCA lost 25 to 28 four-year-old kindergarten students per year. When that got siphoned out, that's 60 to $70,000 in revenue. Um, that just made the model not work for the YMCA for the Barker Center, there are other factors. Um, schools now have a lot more like teachers' aides in the classroom, either helping uh, kids with reading or many other different functions within the school. Schools are starting to now pay those teachers' aides anywhere from sixteen to nineteen dollars an hour. Traditionally, those that's the same pool of workers that have been available for childcare development um, and, and daycare centers. But those daycare centers had long paid them anywhere from ten to twelve dollars an hour. Now to compete. To keep those employees, they're going to have to raise those wages. And what Tom Bernstein at the um, Door County YMCA, the CEO, said, they're looking at um, having to up their wages 2 to $3 an hour to stay afloat this fall or, and to keep their staff this fall. That alone, for a place that employs 25 people, you're looking at potentially another fifty grand in expenses. Right. So they're getting to a point where their revenue, they're operating the Barker Center, he said, at a loss of somewhere around $100,000 a year, and it's only going to go up with each passing year right. as they have to raise wages. So a really difficult situation for the Y. And so they are debating closing down the Barker Center. And it sounds like it, as we as we record, it wasn't a done deal, but it's almost certainly that they are going to get out of the daycare business at the YMCA. Right. So in terms of numbers, how many families does this affect? There are 79 children at now in the Barker Center in Surgeon Bay. So that's um, there's not quite 79 families. Some of them have multiple kids, but that's, that's a lot of families. Right. And as far as I know, there's the Barker Center and then there's Northern Door Children's Center. And there are a couple of smaller locations, but those are the two big facilities, correct? Yeah. Northern Door Children's Center located in Sister Bay, which, um, for those not quite familiar with the geography, I know we have some listeners from out of town. Um, that's a 45 minute drive between those two centers. So it's not like, it's not an easy proposition for a parent to say, oh, Barker's closing. I'll just go to Northern Door if you're a Sturgeon Bay resident and vice versa. Right. There are parents who've done it. Um, I did talk to one parent for this article who at, at one point could not get into the Barker Center. The wife worked in Green Bay. The husband worked in Bailey's Harbor. For a few months, they were taking their child. They lived in Sturgeon Bay. They were taking their child to Sister Bay in the morning. Uh, their her husband would take her to Sister Bay, drop him off, go to work in Bailey's Harbor, then drive back to Sister Bay, pick him up at the end of the day, and then drive back to Sturgeon Bay. And in some cases, she would have to do it before her job in Green Bay. So drive all the way to Sister Bay and then go to work in Green Bay. Right. I'm, there's a lot of families who have done things like that in Door County over the years. Um, not a sustainable long-term solution. Right. Well, and that's the thing too. You would think that there'd probably be some sort of child care in each of the villages, but that's just not the case. Right. Like in Egg Harbor, there's what, like 200 people in mm -hmm. the population. Uh, how many of those people need childcare, right? It comes down to like maybe five to 10. Yeah. So then it just doesn't become sustainable to have that thing. So you've got these two kind of like big facilities at either end of the peninsula and that's kind of it. So to lose like literally half, that's a big deal. And that's something that like Northern Door Children's Center isn't going to be able to take all of those people, especially not right now where they're kind of functioning reduced. Yep. So, you know, it, it's it's definitely a big thing. They they have comparable uh, numbers of students or numbers of families that are enrolled. I know Northern Door Children's Center is a little bit less. Um, but that's the other thing, too. You can't just be like, oh, well, why don't we open up another facility? The market is obviously there. The market's really not there. It's maybe, what, 200 families, 250 families that are looking for childcare in Door County? 
And not only that, it's it's a complicated market because yes, there's demand, but it, it's a very fine tooth. Um, uh, what's the 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 phrase I'm working for? It's a, it's a thin line there between raising the price and going, all right, there's demand, so we can charge more, and then pricing yourself out of what parents are willing to pay versus quitting their job and taking care of their child at home. Right. So you can't just increase the price and. Yes, you. I, I guess you could do that, become a smaller daycare center, but then you become, as one person told me, you just become a country club for rich kids. Which, just like as a funny thing, is is, is really nice to think about, right? Yeah, just yeah. imagining like little three-year-olds walking around with like lavender sweaters tied around their neck. <laughs> that's, like, that's a bunch of little prepsters. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, there's... But then you also like a third of the the parent the families at the the Barker are in some sort of state fee assistance program to help cover their childcare costs. Um, so you you also and if if you charge more, the amount you get that assistance doesn't go up with that. You know, it's not like all right, here's here's more because you're sending it to a more expensive place. That doesn't work that way. So some of the normal market forces don't don't make this viable. Surgeon Bay's lost a couple of other daycare centers for multiple reasons in the last few years. So more nobody's like begging to get into this. And it's actually a national problem exacerbated by COVID-19, where you have daycare centers now operating at lower capacity, which means they're getting less revenue, which means they're in a difficult financial situation, just like every other business and nonprofit um, that exists in the United States. Um, but in fact, Tammy Baldwin had proposed a bill that would provide $50 billion to help support child care centers. Um, there have been some calls to make it more of like a public utility or certain sort of like school. And in European countries, they do have um, publicly provided daycare centers. Um, that, I think, would be a far, far off solution in the United States um, and Door County. So there are people working on this. Um it does create a crisis in Sturgeon Bay, but they, I talked to Brian Stevens at Door County Medical Center. He would, of those 79 children at the Barker, 21 of them are children of Door County Medical Center employees. So he feels um, a bit of a responsibility to try and do what they can do to solve this because he said, you know, if we, we've talked to some of our staff and we're looking at potentially likely losing five employees who would just have to quit their jobs. And I, I spoke to one of them for this story and he said, Yes, we have a lot of employees, so five isn't a huge chunk, but it is very costly to try and recruit and replace everybody that you hire and every nurse that they hire. So losing five is not something he wants to to grapple with. And then also as being a, a quality employer, you don't want to see your employees' lives impacted that way. Yeah. So there has been a push. Uh, what Tom Bernstein said over the, the years was they've tried to try and get more industry involved in creating a solution and helping support this, either through donations or looking at different solutions. Um, and he said it really hasn't got much response. And maybe now with this closure, you might see some of that groundswell. But it does sound like the why, even if some people step forward with some donations right now, like what Tom was saying is this belongs in the hands of an entity that is solely focused on childcare. Um, he said childcare is not necessarily the wise focal point. And so they can't do it as good and put the resources into it as well as maybe a different place could. So there's a, you know, it, it starts to have an economic impact and beyond just people with kids, but work um, employers trying to find staff. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, like along with affordable housing and internet access, childcare is one of those things that affects everybody in some way up here. Even if, you know, 
you're, you're not having children or you don't need childcare or what, or what have you, if you've got folks who can't get childcare, so they take one of the parents out of the workforce, now you've got a family that is, or, number one, you've got an economy with less workers in it, less workers available to do jobs, like you were saying. But then you also have families who are cutting back on costs, who aren't spending as much at gas stations because they're not, you know, both commuting to work, uh, maybe not buying uh, superfluous goods at, at grocery stores or going out to eat nearly as much. Um, so think about like in the winter, if you've got a family who is going out to, we- to eat once a week, now going out once a month, uh, add that up in a smaller community, you've got businesses who are staying open year round who are getting, you know, less profits, less incentive to stay open. Uh, it, it has a kind of a rippling effect in the same way that these other things do. And I feel like these three issues, kind of the barriers of entry for young families up here, these are some of the most important things for us to focus on right now. And I guess my question is, Miles, since you've had your head in these issues for a long time, what do you think the timeline is for this, right? How long do you think we have to figure out affordable housing, internet, childcare? How long do you think we have before it's like, okay, now now it's too late, um, I, I mean, I guess I would argue that probably we are seeing the effects of it being too late already. Um, just knowing the number of people, especially younger families that moved away because they just didn't see a potential for a future here. Um, and the housing situation just keeps getting worse. Um, you combine the housing problem and the inability to buy an affordable home. So once you combine that with like the childcare issue, how quickly that puts you behind the eight ball from a family perspective, if you come in and you have massive student loans, your young family, educated family moved here for what you thought was a great job and a great environment. Now you find that there's no childcare. So how, how do you afford a home? Like most homes up here for young people with the wages offered in Door County, they require two incomes to make that mortgage payment. So if somebody quits that to take care of the kid, it's, you can see how quickly that becomes a decision to leave the county and look for a job elsewhere where they can buy a home for less and still potentially stay home and provide and be a stay-at-home parent. Um, and then you throw the broadband issue on top of that where people are going, well, I, I can't find internet anywhere. So that's a lifestyle and po- potential work remotely problem. Um, you have a lot of notches being added to the list right. of like what makes it hard for a young family. And this is that at a time as baby boomers, that big generation of workers starts to cycle its way out of the workforce as they hit retirement. We need those young families. We need to be attracting them and we need to find a way to do that. And in Surgeon Bay in particular, um, they don't just need, you know, in Northern Door, in a small community, a couple of young people moving in is like, wow, that's a, a big boom in young families. In Surgeon Bay, they need a lot of them to supply the workforce for Fincantieri, the hospital, the, the industrial park, not to mention the tourism sector. So you have a lot more, and, and Door County government. So how do you attract all those families in if you don't have a place for them to afford a home, get internet, which is an entertainment and workforce issue? And then have childcare, right? Well, and all three of those things can kind of work together, right? So if you are able to get affordable housing, that helps with the childcare thing and the internet thing, right? You don't necessarily need to have the extra money or the ability to work from home if you can have childcare. It opens up more Correct. opportunities. Uh, if you don't have affordable housing but you've got good childcare, then you can continue to pay that mortgage payment with two incomes. So they all kind of work together. And even just helping one of them out would would open the door for more families. Yeah. But like you had mentioned about internet being a workforce thing, how many jobs up here are available to people that they can get where a single income would be viable, right? 
Not at the house prices here. Yeah, there's there's very few, if any, that it's like, okay, you're going to stay at home to take care of the child. I'm going to continue my work because I'm getting paid enough to sustain our mortgage payment and, and our cost of living. That's There aren't a lot of positions like that. Now, there are positions like that elsewhere that you could work from home with, but if you can't get good internet, then that locks you out of that as well. So it, it, it's kind of a, a big double, triple-edged sword where all of these things are working together to really shut the door on young families coming up here at a time when we need young families to come up here the most. Right. So it, I'm not saying that we need to, in the next five years, solve all of these problems. But if we were able to make progress on even one of them, that would open that door up again a little bit more and start to invite people up here. But as it stands right now, if we're like, well, maybe in 10 years this will all look different, I don't know what we look like in 10 years, right? It, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a tough thing to think about. And how far behind do you fall? Like, you just think of all the innovative young people who have started businesses up here in the last 10 years, and you think of, all right, what happens if one of those people is not here? What happens if the Uncafers never move up here and start Wild Tomato? What does that mean for the restaurant scene, the food scene? And you think of so many people who have now made Wild Tomato as like this touchstone place that they come to Door County for or the Wickman House or you could go on down the line and name a bunch of different restaurants, Door County Brewing Company. If these people don't find a way to do this and try these new things, what do we lose? So how many maybe we have already missed out on because it wasn't viable to stick around? Um, I, I know a lot of really smart um inventive entrepreneurial people who have long since gave up on the Door County dream and, and live elsewhere and are entrenched there who would have very happily been entrenched here if there was a viable way to make it make it work. Right. Well, and, and even, you know, with some of those names that you mentioned and more, think about some of the young entrepreneurs who have come up here and have been able to make it work because they don't have children, yes. right? They're able to cut that piece out of the puzzle in order to make things work. But then it's like, you know, if they continue their business for 30, 40 years, if they don't have kids, then what effect does that have on the schools, right? Less mm -hmm. students going to schools. You have different programs that start to fall apart because yes, we have entrepreneurs who are able to, you know, make it work and kind of live out their dream here, but at the cost of other parts of the economy, right? So it it's one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of success stories, but a lot of those success stories have caveats and they're not sustainable for the community moving right. forward. So Miles, do you have anything else on, on any of these issues that we've talked about? This is kind of a big loaded topic. Um, we'll know more today. I'm sure we'll post something online today or tomorrow regarding the decision. Um, and the rest of the story will be available on the Pulse this week as well. Uh, any Anything else to leave people with? I would say that the, the good thing is there are people working on this. Um, the United Way of Door County has, um, they did a survey this spring looking at what people's childcare issues were because this had been on their radar before the Barker Center discussions about closing started. Um, and they've formed a few different committees to look at different alternative business models and um, ways to solve the, the child care crisis. Um, like I said, the the mayor of Sturgeon Bay, David Ward, Brian Stevens at Door County Medical Center, several other people are looking at these. I know it has come up at the county level and also at the city level um, to discuss child care and, and what they were going to do because the city has been has brought this up a few times in meetings for the last couple of years about, hey, we need to we need to figure this out because these people need workers. And to get workers, you need to have childcare options. So there are people looking at this. There are some innovative ideas. I know there are some people interested in it. They've there's child care centers in Green Bay that they've been um, that people have been in touch with them about opening a satellite location potentially in Sturgeon Bay. So as much as the potential Barker closing is a huge challenge in the short term, I am hopeful that 
people will come together to create some sort of solution in the long term. Um, but I do think in the next few years, we may be looking at since schools took four year old kindergarten and basically took that leg out of the business model, you might see more and more calls for like, okay, you want that leg? You have to solve the whole problem. That might start to be pushed back on schools. So a um, lot of, lot of vifs. Yeah. Uh, did you say a lot of this and then gesture? Because this is an this is an audio medium. A lot of ifs. Oh, I thought you said a lot of this and then made a gesture, and I was like, <laughs> cool. Uh, everybody saw that. Uh, I, I guess my my last kind of takeaway for this is if you're if you're a person who has housing up here, you've solved that problem. Maybe you don't need high speed internet for whatever reason. Uh, maybe you don't need childcare because you either don't have children or your children are old enough. That type of thing. If if none of these three issues are impacting you directly, uh, I hope you realize that they do impact you in other ways. And I think that these three things are the things that everybody up here should be thinking about, right? Because while none of them may impact you directly right now, they're going to impact you as the years go on in in bigger, bigger ways, right? Because we can't bring people up here. We're not going to have people to work at our businesses. Businesses are going to shut down. Tourists aren't going to want to come up. All of those things go hand in hand, and they're all directly related to bringing young families in to create a sustainable community. And, and so I hope that if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, man, that's such a bummer. At least it doesn't affect me. Know that it does and know that there are ways for you to get involved and to try to, you know, it, at the very least, move the conversation forward about it. Mm-hmm. Be able to talk about it. Even if you're not getting on a board or going to meetings, at least if you're talking about it and keeping it top of mind for people, that's at least some progress, Right. So I guess that's my big takeaway. That's kind of my my PSA or my be, being up on the pulpit kind of thing. <laughs> uh, that's all I've got, Miles. Do you have anything else for today? I've got nothing else this week. All right. Well, uh, I hope that you enjoyed listening to the Pulse podcast. I know the topics were a little bit heavy this time around. Uh, but if you want a, a break from the heavy, if you want to watch something fun, the Door County Pulse show should be up soon. Uh, I went around, talked to different people in the community, uh, did kind of a fun little video show so you can see that on facebook or on our website or our youtube channel Uh, so check that out miles thank you so much for chatting with me and i look forward to chatting with you again soon thanks andrew thank you so much for listening to the door county pulse podcast if you want to support us at the pulse check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly pulse subscription purchase some incredible door county artwork from pulse artist ryan miller and much more We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.